probably wish you hadn't, Terry Drinkwater explains that American children these days are obsessed with the whole disgusting deck. The wonderful folks who brought us baseball cards, tributes to the excellence of genuine heroes, the idols of generations of young Americans, now bring us Acme Amy, Tommy Gunn, Bad Breath Seth, Slain Wayne, and the rest of what are called the Garbage Pail Kids. Among the preteen set, they are really hot. I like two garbage pail kids. The manufacturer won't release sales figures, but so many youngsters have become so obsessed that the cards have been banned by some school principals from the West Coast to the East. Simply said, if you have them, fine, keep them home. Monday morning, I don't want to see them in school. You can't even play with them at recess time. What are you supposed to do, just sit there and in room? <laughs> Willing to rewatch a movie. Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Quit, quit, quit. Hey, Please don't aggregate this. Lillard, long range three. Their defense is atrocious. I'm sort of the rock star. Tiso is the official watch of the NBA. Everybody who listens to this podcast knows how I feel about aggregation. I'm oddly intrigued by neck tattoos. You know, we love China. We love no plan here. It comes a dunk. Shut up and listen. You think you're better than me? <laughs> All right, we're back. Swish FM here, Chris Wendelkin and Ben Craw. Ben, we uh back by popular demand. We are... So lucky to be joined today uh, by Swish FM's resident uh, artist, illustrator, designer. He is a uh, serial monster connoisseur. He is an NFT enthusiast, a cryptocurrency um, uh, investor, uh, proponent. Um, he's our guy, uh, Chris Noble, a.k.a. the Trash Bag Ghost. Ghost, welcome back. I know you got a busy schedule. Thanks for taking a uh, few um, hours to talk with us today. Uh, this, you know, should be a very memorable episode. So one we've been waiting for. We're excited to have you. So uh, thanks for joining us. Hey, fellas, great to be back. Ben, it's been um, it's been far too long. What was the the last episode you were on? Was the was it the Andre? Hogan, the main event, main event. It's too long, too long. So. Yeah, yeah. Wow, it really yeah. has been a glorious return. We are blessed. Um, yeah. So yeah, thank you, thank you as always, Ghost. Ben, we, um, you know, we we try to be, I think, judicious here when we invite uh, a third uh, into in, into our um, into our our domain here on the pod and. Um, we always try to like make it something special, you know. Mm. And oh, today we have uh, something special. Uh, it's the rewatchables, yep. you know, our our film series, and we're going to be watching a very special movie today called uh, the Garbage Pail Kids movie. And um, yeah, I mean, what to say, Ben? Uh, I know we've been anticipating this one. It's conjured up. All sorts of feelings and thoughts in me that I just didn't expect. I didn't, frankly, I wasn't even aware that existed, but yeah. we're here. This day has finally come. What, what are your thoughts? Um, it has finally come. It, yeah, this is, this is a big one, folks. There's going to be, yeah, this is one of those episodes where, you know, I'm telling myself to, to breathe 
to, to kind of keep it together um, because uh, this is this is a, this is a big one. There's a lot lot to unpack um, both in the film itself in the uh, emotions that it evokes in the uh, the history the backstory um, <clears throat> excuse me I'm getting a little choked up already um, yeah this is the Garbage Pail Kids movie from 1987 um, a live action film adaptation of the Topps trading card series um, of the same name uh, so yeah, I mean, I don't know exactly where to I begin. Mean, we could we could talk yeah. a little bit about our. I feel like I, maybe I, we should start with kind of like the cards themselves, right? I agree. I agree. Um, let's start sort of broad and then sort of zoom in a little bit. So, like you said, Ben, we're the the movie we're unpacking today is the Garbage Pail Kids movie. It's a 1987 live action adaptation based on the the trading cards, the popular trading cards. If the listeners need a reminder, or for those maybe who aren't aware of what we're talking about, the Garbage Pail Kids were a series of sticker trading cards produced by Topps, uh, originally released in 1985 and designed as a parody to the Cabbage Patch Kids dolls, uh, which were very popular at the time. So each one of the Garbage Pail Kids had some sort of um, comic abnormality, we'll say, deformity, a quirk. Let's face it, guys, these were... uh, absolutely gross frightening horrific um characters these were children who played in the trash for my (laughs) money for my eyes um this stuff was downright pornographic um (laughs) children had no right no business looking at these uh cartoon images but Mm -hmm. we did Mm -hmm. and it's a period in our history that um you know, we're all still sort of making sense of. I know I really uh, did a lot of soul searching the last couple of weeks, but I want to start there with our personal histories here. So before we get into the film, I want to hear from the both of you guys about how you kind of came across the Garbage Pail Kids, how they came into your lives, how they came into your lives. Ghost, um, let's start with you. How did how did these things initially come onto your radar? Were you always into trading cards as a kid or what? Great question. So, you know, I wouldn't say I had, I grew up in a puritanical household by any means, but definitely, you know, at the time I was aware, and in retrospect, I can definitely assert that I had kind of more restrictions placed on the content I consumed, the media I consumed than other kids at the time. It, it was pretty. It was pretty locked down. Um, however, the nobles the nobles were a church going family. Yeah, it's as true. Were, as, were, as were the Wendelkins. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, ghost. We have a similar origin story here. Church going. Um, you know, there was definitely you know a parental sort of overview. They wanted to know like what was happening and what yeah, was going on. The, the glorious fun I would always have at Ben's house on Saturday nights was always a little bit twinged with the, the knowledge that the looming dread of Sunday morning Father yeah, the Lord would be there 7am to pick me up from mm. Ben's house uh, no questions asked no exceptions ever yeah party was over real quick <laughs> just <laughs> um, that being said there was just kind of like the, the power of the, the 80s like milieu of just crazy neon retro like slime just could not help but permeate my eyes and brain even without being directly influenced by it uh i were this is uh relevant i was called in 
for a parent-teacher conference, and more pertinently, my parents were called in for a parent-teacher conference God. when I was no more than seven years old, okay? I had written this story uh, mm -hmm. about these anthropomorphic rats, okay, yeah. that had girlfriends, did drugs, spray-painted <laughs> for fun. Uh, I don't like where this is going, Ghost. They And they brought him back to the apartment. And worst of all, I really realized how bad this was. In retrospect, they committed vehicular uh, homicide. And that was a running theme in my stories. There was also, a, we were told to write a Thanksgiving story. Uh, and the turkeys, in kind of a turnabout, uh, ran over a, quote, old granny. I'll never forget why I decided to uh, write that. Mm. Anyway... Um, all this like crazy, like the, so the teacher calls the parents in, the nobles right. in, and they're like, they're thinking they're going to be meeting these two like degenerate, like right. just party freaks. And they meet these like absolute, <laughs> uh, you know, party freaks, like polo wearing squares. squares. That's and like, yeah. where is Christopher yeah. getting this? I don't know. Look at Bob. Look at Louise. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But I had just a like magnetic attraction to this shit in the 80s. I needed it. I wanted it. It was coming out of my pores. Ben and I were drawing like mutant characters that had unsurvivable mm. wounds and grotesque creations. Grotesque yeah. creations. So I sought this kind of shit out wherever I could, at any opportunity I could. What I really remember was going to kind of like the uh, really like flea market kind of things in the summertime where my, my mom would be off antiquing and I would go to the seedier side uh, of, of the lot and I would, you know, <laughs> right in between the Vietnam era stuff and like the uh, God knows what on the other side, maybe the, the knife guy, there often <laughs> was some piles of these things and it was like heaven for me and I was able to yeah. surreptitiously, you know, uh take a couple packs or take a couple Lucy's and I would treasure these and just uh, enjoy them uh, in secret. I would enjoy these things in secret. It was kind of so... I feel like I feel like a priest. I feel like a priest listening to someone's confession. Ben, get ready because you're next. You're, you're yeah. going to be spilling your guts next here. Um, fascinating stuff, Ghost. Um, thank you for your honesty about that. Um, that really checks out makes a lot of sense and um ben i'm curious how did these little monster people the garbage pill kids how did they first infiltrate your life um so i grew up um with two older sisters shout out katie and madeline um and they were into cabbage patch kids because they were children um in the early and mid 80s um, they were girls, so, you know, they like dolls and, and babies and those kinds of things. Um, not necessarily because they were, um, female, but because, you know, as female kids, like, that's just what you were inundated with, um, as your, you know, toy product entertainment of choice. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I remember, like, <clears throat> I was too young to kind of, like, have clear memories of this, but my parents, you know, told stories of, like, the, the crazy, you know, uh, toy store crush of mob of people trying to get the last Cabbage Patch Kid doll before Christmas. Um, like they live that because you know that's, that's just how you know how ubiquitous and popular they were. So I my first sort of exposure to, to Garbage Pail Kids, <clears throat> and I don't even remember like the first time I saw one or what store I was in or what 
friend. It, honestly, it could very well have been Chris Noble that ex- exposed me to these cards uh, for the very first time um, in uh, in second grade or wh- whenever it might have been. But uh, but I remember thinking, obviously, I was titillated by the uh, by the the animations, the the grotesquerie, the uh, bodily fluids, the just the violence and 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 um, and like extremeness of them. Um, yep. It was like, yeah, it was pornography. It was going straight to to my id, you know, like a like a shot of like the most illicit drug um, as a as a little kid. Um, but I also remember thinking like how incredibly f- it was sort of my first exposure to like satire too. I think because I immediately recognized them as a play on this you know, previously existing, uh, uh, content. And I loved the, you know, like, uh, I guess sort of similar to like the first time I read Mad Magazine where it was like, it was funny, but it was even more exciting because it was making fun of something else. Um, so for me, they were like totally thrilling, um, and disgusting and gross just in their own right, but even more, uh, exciting and, and like, and like, there's some there's like a romance about them because you were like in on a joke that you were not just subversive like, yeah it was it subversive was, yeah. and it was gross but the it wasn't just gross for no reason it was gross to like point out the you know by at that time like extremely ubiquitous mainstream popular uh you know toy product in the cabbage patch kids that were like so everywhere and so that it was like annoying. You were like, get the, get these things off my tell, you know, everywhere you looked, it was another commercial for Cabbage Patch Kids or like, you know, like I'm sure Beanie Babies was the same way for, you know, for kids of like a few years later where you were like sick of them. And then, so this product comes along, you know, satirizing that in like the most just like intense and, 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 and disgusting and, uh, and just delightful way. Um, so I really remember like the, just the thrill of like, of this thing where it was like, Oh, like I'm understanding. I like, I like irony or satire or parody for like the first time as well as just being like absolutely entertained by the grossness. Yeah. I had a similar story. Um, and I've sort of, uh, really blocked this period of my life out, um, (laughs) with as much like intensity as I could muster, but, uh, it was a similar story. A friend up the street who just, let's say like had bit exposure, of a, bit of a bad seed, maybe <laughs> <laughs> bit of a, uh, yeah, yeah. Bit of a, you know, yeah, whatever, no judgments, but yeah. like had access to <laughs> things like this. And that was very much like my dealer. And I remember, um, having the garbage pail kids stickers, on the headboard of my bed Mm. and um it was just honestly like something i tried to block out like i tried to pretend like wasn't happening uh i I tried to like forget that period of my childhood because it was you know it was it was it was at an age where i was young enough it was really like the late 80s like maybe early 90s but really like i'm talking like 89 whereas five six years old Mm -hmm. and I think I Ben do you remember like as we've talked about the WWF you've referred to the period 
at which you like became ashamed of it Mm. Mm -hmm. where you like became aware that you used to enjoy this thing and it was something to now feel like shame about and so like you were you rejected it but you sort of like overcompensated for it in the way that you rejected it yeah i think i had a sort of similar experience with garbage patch kids uh, garbage pail kids in that in that i was you know both like deeply obsessed and then deeply ashamed ashamed with Hmm. my interest and love in these um uh disgusting depraved um characters (laughs) and um but yeah it was you know it was sort of the same story as you ghost like i was really into trading cards as a kid um i i you know that was something i was really passionate about and collected baseball cards basketball cards and we had a store in my town up the street. It was walking distance from my parents' house. It was a variety store where they sold, you know, just your basic knickknacks and bubble gum and baseball cards and trading cards. And I remember with my allowance every week, this was like my favorite thing to buy with like the one or two dollars that I would have in my pocket was a pack of uh, garbage pail kids trading cards. And, um, yeah, you know, here we are. Now, do you uh, remember, like, when you entered that that second phase of shame, of shame. And, and rejection, did, was that triggered by anything, or was that just something where you were like, oh, I'm suddenly too old for this, and this is, like, babyish <clears throat> or childish, and I need to, like, in order to, like, be cool and yeah. mature, I need to just, like, completely, like, shut that out I, now? I can't, I can't point to, like, one specific event, mm. but I think it was, like, a general awareness of shame and also like identity because the thing about garbage pail kids um is they sort of were like in the same world as like dolls mm. um do you, do you know what i mean like if you played with dolls like it, it it or figures it like wasn't garbage pail kids weren't that far f- off from like playing with like a barbie yeah. and i think at some point my identity was like really triggered where it was like, Oh, it's not okay for a boy to like want to play with a doll or want to play with a figure or like these like silly little like cartoon character people. So like I have to, I have to at like fiercely reject Satan and like fiercely (laughs) push, fiercely push these things away. Mm. And would you say it was like, almost a, a moment of like your, your loss of innocence or like the end of your, your, your innocent, innocent yeah. childhood period. It was an awakening. It was, it, it was a, an awakening of my consciousness where mm. it was like, I am now aware that I am a boy in the world and there are certain expectations of a boy and also certain expectations of what it means to be a good man <laughs> and to like, <laughs> to like, a, a good man and a fine upstanding citizen of the world like takes a bath yeah and like right. and does Wipes not traffic and does not traffic in nose picking and vomiting yeah. even as tempting as that may be mm-hmm. and let's be very clear the temptation was profound profoundly real for me i'm like, still I, waiting for these senses of shame and self-awareness to set in <laughs> yeah ghost well that's ghost why ghost some, lives yeah. like a, ghost, know, on a different plane like he yeah yeah 
No, ghost. I mean, obviously, like, not all of us have achieved enlightenment, but, like, some, <laughs> you know, some of us are, yeah. like, aspiring. Yeah. That's, so, by the way, yeah. kind of why we do this podcast is to try to get to that point. Yeah, so, just to, like, literally glean any sort of, yeah. um, you yeah. know, aura, whatever we can from you. Yeah. So, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, all right. So, that is kind of... You know, I, I wanted to hear from you guys a little bit about your personal histories with how Garbage Pail Kids came into your life. And then, you know, which brings us to the movie, um, the subject of today's Rewatchables pod, Ben, mm-hmm. the Garbage Pail Kids movie. So yes. what I want to know is, like, what did you guys know about this film before today's, you know, podcast rewatch? Personally, I was not aware that there was a movie. I, I had no idea that this movie existed. Ghost, let's start with you. Did you know there was a Garbage Pail Kids movie? Yes. I was okay. aware of its existence. Um, like you became aware of it in adulthood or you knew of it as a child? You no, know, in, in adulthood. Like, you know, and, you know, probably at the dawn of the internet, you know, I was, you know, ever since, you know, my family first got an internet connection, I, you know, for the past several decades, I've just been voraciously seeking out like the lowest forms of media feel possible so <laughs> on a daily basis so this was actually got on my radar probably in the late 90s and um ever since i've just it's been in my peripheral i've never had a full proper viewing until the preparation for this show i you know you i would just come across reference to it often in a terribly derogatory manner um and so thus obviously piquing my interest uh more and more until i finally viewed it and but yeah there was never um never never had a viewing up until recently but definitely aware for quite some time ben you are something of a cinephile was the garbage pail kids movie something that was like always on your mount rushmore your bucket list of of much of must watch films or was this something that was relatively new to you? Um, yeah, much like ghost, I was aware of it. It was on my radar for a long time. I think probably sometime in like the mid to late 20, uh, 2000, you know, aughts. Um, I don't know, maybe 2008 or nine. Um, I remember like we, I was considering using it for like a smash TV project with Brendan and (laughs) I started watching it like drunk one night and probably fell asleep after like 10 minutes. And then, and then like after that, it was always kind of like, I, I think I remembered it as a very unpleasant experience, um, yeah. which is no fault of the films, obviously. Uh, it was just, you know, whatever state I was in at the time. Um, so I kind of like, you know, pushed it back down my list a little bit uh, where it's remained, you know, since um, or up until, yeah, just this past week to prepare, prepare for this episode. So it was like, um, something that I was very much aware of and like sort of knew like, okay, there's going to be a time for that. Um, and, uh, and at a certain point it was like the time, the time's now, the time has come. Um, I knew that, that having ghosts involved was going to be, uh, necessary because of his, uh, you know, experience and relationship with, with the, with the source material. So, you know, it just felt like the, the perfect time to, to finally, uh, you know, climb that mount that Mount Everest that, uh, that I had yep. in my mind. Well, that's why we do the rewatchables, Ben, yep. uh, ghost. So I thought what we do is... What about you, Chris? Did you, you kn- I've never seen it before or didn't know of it. No, I, 
I didn't even know the movie existed until we talked about rewatching it for the show. Mm. Um, so I was totally unaware of it. I didn't know its sort of place in internet culture as this like appallingly bad movie. Um, so I, I, I didn't know about it now. Mm. Um, so yeah, this, I was going in totally blind. Um, but yeah, so let's, let's dive in here. Um, I thought we would take a little snapshot of the plot, maybe say a couple things about it and then sort of dive headfirst into some more specific stuff. Um, so like we said, the Garbage Pail Kids movie is a 1987 live action film adaptation of the popular children's trading card made by Tops. The movie was produced, directed, and co-written by Rod Amato. It's the uh, the last movie he directed before his retirement in 1989. He is best known for writing and developing TV sitcoms like The George Burns and Gracie Allen Show. He also wrote and directed shows like Mr. Ed and The Pilot for Gilligan's Island. Oh, no kidding. It's pretty interesting. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, I believe he was garbage... also involved in uh, My Mother the Car, which was a... Uh, oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Yes, sort of yes, a forgotten yes. classic. Um, the Garbage Pail Kids depicted, focused on uh, seven of the Garbage Pail children. Uh, Greaser Greg, Valerie Vomit, uh, Alligator, Foul Phil, Ned Nerd, Nat Nerd. Wendy, uh, Nat Nerd, Nat. excuse me. Yeah. Nat Nerd. Sorry, I'm going uh, to have to be a stickler with the names here. This of is uh, very important. Wendy, Winston, and Messy Tessie. Uh, and these characters were all played by dwarf actors in animatronic costumes. So um, those are some of the production, uh, you know, a couple of general things about the production here. Now for the plot, it's funny, you know, there's, there's so much to unpack with this movie. It's the characters, the themes, whatever. And like... <sighs> I tried my best to Google around and find some sort of like succinct plot synopsis of the film, right? And therein lies the problem. The plot is just <laughs> too damn thick. Yeah, but it's a here very, are very a couple film. here are a couple of results that I came that I came up with that I wanted to share with you guys. Okay. Okay, so here's here's one synopsis. Quote Urchins Wendy, Wendy Winston, Foul Phil, and Messy Tessie help a shopkeeper's helper woo a fashion designer. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's one. Yeah. I mean, yes, kind um, of. In right? one sense, sure. Okay. Here's another one. Um, Dodger must confront the struggles of life hmm. as he is visited by the Garbage Pail Kids and intimidated by some older bullies. Hmm. Again, I mean... It's getting a little Tr- deeper. True, true, yeah. a bit vague. Um, uh, and then I found another one that's more in depth, but um, screw it. We can't, we can't just, we can't shortcut this one. Yeah. We, we need to just dive into it. Yeah, so do. let's start from the top here, guys. <laughs> um, and uh, let's, yeah, let's just let it rip. I would say if there was a moment in the film that, you know, struck out to that that stuck out to you, be it a character thing, a plot point, a piece of art direction, whatever it is, um, call it out. There's that that's that's really the structure for today's pod. We'll take it in the uh, you know order of the movie, the sequence of the movie. So just starting from the top, 
uh, Ben Ghost, if either of you wants to kick it off, you hit play on the movie and give me the first thing that sort of jumped off the screen for you. First thing that jumped off the screen for me, Chris, was this Atlantic Releasing Corporation yep. logo. Um, holy shit. I mean, I know this is a an audio medium, so it's going to be hard to communicate. Um, but it is one of the most beautiful images uh, that I have seen. Um, yeah, Atlantic Releasing Corporation is the company that, I guess, distributed the film. Um they were later renamed Atlantic Entertainment Group and then uh, went defunct uh, in 1989, not long after the release of this uh, film. <laughs> um, but they had a great, um, you know, a great run uh, through the 70s and 80s, uh, releasing such films as uh, Teen Wolf, uh, Valley Girl. Um, let's see what else we have here. Um, yeah, not a lot of stuff you've probably heard of. Um, Garbage Pail Kids, the movie. Um, but, yeah, it's just a great logo. And, uh, again, I'd, I shouldn't uh, belabor it too much, but people should uh, look it up. It's just this, like... No, yeah, it's 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 stunning. I mean, th- uh, frankly, this whole opening... The whole opening entitled, sequence with this... The whole opening and title sequence deserves its own podcast episode. Yeah. Um, Which like, maybe I would like is. to know... <laughs> I would like to know how you would both describe this opening song here. Like, it's set in outer space, and it certainly has, like, I would say, astral quality and vibes, right? The original score is by Michael Lloyd. Um, What did this initial opening song evoke for you guys? Just energy, really. Like, excitement, energy, um, a little little bit of fear, maybe. Like, oh, what's going on here exactly? it, it's it like actually it gets the appetite going it sets such high hopes you see that it could be this like gigantic space epic like oh what does this mean what are the implications of this like uh, they're from another planet okay great i hope that gets uh explored in depth or at least <laughs> alluded to or at least mentioned one other time but nope. uh nope. lo and behold uh, none of those things happen whatsoever so it's just this is the first curveball of many, the first uh, dead end of many that yeah. are to come, teasers that lead to nowhere. Yeah, the movie begins in outer space. That is our setting. Um, I, I love the way they you know, pay homage to the, the source material. I mean, the, the, the second thing that we see after the um, Atlantic uh, distribution logo is that this is a uh, Topps chewing gum production. So, um, Topps Chewing Gum, um, which, you know, is a chewing gum company, not a film company, uh, to be clear. Oh, that's so good. Um, but, uh, but yeah, they, I think it's the only movie that Topps Chewing Gum, um, ever produced. Um, but, yeah, so that already, you're kind of like, wait, what? And then the logo, the Garbage Pail Kids movie comes on, and then these cards start floating through this, this outer space void, um... And, yeah, very, like, it's just a great way to introduce the characters. Um, we have, you know, the very fir- the, the, the top build is Anthony Newley is uh, Captain Manzini. Uh, then we have uh, Mackenzie Austin, brother of Sean Austin. I don't know if you guys realize that. Um, oh, really? Yeah, oh. yeah, that is Sean Austin's brother uh, playing, playing Dodger. Um, 
And, uh, and then we have uh, Katie Barberi as Tangerine, major character. And then we get our very first uh, kid uh, character, Garbage Pail Kid that is. And Valerie Vomit is the first one up. Um, and then, yeah, it goes through the rest of the, the, the characters. But yeah, the whole time we, we're, we're floating in space, we see planet Earth in the background. So we're clearly like coming from, you know, a place that's very far away. Um, and then we see after the, uh, after the cards kind of like filter through this trash can, this garbage pail, uh, you might call it, floating in space with rockets attached to it. Um, so the garbage pail is something of a, of a, you know, a, a space Ship, a vessel. A vessel, yeah. Um, there's no indication of the scale, by the way. There's no way of ascertaining that either. It could be just a normal-sized trash can, or this mm. thing could be the size of uh, the Empire State Building. We, we don't yeah. have any way of knowing, really. That's a really good point. Yeah, yeah. There's not a lot of explanation there. Certainly no ex- explanation of, of its provenance, where it came from, N- no idea. Very mysterious. Um, yeah, very, very mysterious. Um, but it's got some cool-looking, like, blue glowing rockets on the back of it. The thr- which don't work. The thrusters uh, are purely for show, because you see this thing does an entire 360 just, just lolling in space there. Those thrusters mm. that are supposedly propelling it forward, meanwhile it's doing like 360s as it just kind of slops forward through the void. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, there's no sense of like flame or exhaust or anything coming from it. No um, direction, just like this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it is moving toward Earth. Uh, we know yes. that much because the camera slowly zooms in um, on the planet Earth. Um, and so, yeah, we transition from outer space to the planet Earth. Um, and we see a- an antique shop uh, here on planet Earth. And we see now that there is a trash can yes. in the antique shop. And yes. it's vibrating, yeah, it's... Uh, folks. This trash can is vibrating. And it, um, it emits uh, a green slime. A green ooze, and yeah. this is the moment, uh, Ben. I texted you. I knew we were in trouble here. <laughs> as soon as I saw this green slime, I thought, "My God, I don't know that I'm prepared for just how disgusting <laughs> this movie is about to get." Uh, it's uh, a great, it's a great slime too. It's not like a, a completely homogeneous like liquid. It's got like little flecks and like bits in it. It looks more. It's almost like jelly-like in its yeah. in its substance. It's it's more viscous than just like a you know a liquid. Almost slime. Like no, apple applesaucey. Yeah, yeah, it's, it it's very, lava. It's lava-like. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a mix it, of like has, lava applesauce and like pea soup. Um, right, right, right. And it is beautiful. The second I saw that, <laughs> I I was like, okay, I'm in. Um, disgusting yeah. yeah just the that the color green i mean that bright slime green i mean it's yeah and so we have a scene here um where 
and it just kind of you know it 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 wets the whistle a bit. There's some uh, so we have this like late night commotion. There's this chatter in the antique shop. The the vibrating garbage can the, gar- the garbage can is vibrating. It's nighttime. It's not clear what causes the initial like why is there some disturbance in the you know in the in the universe like why mm-hmm. why the can is is shaking now. It's, we sort of learn later that the can has been there for a very long time. Yeah. Um, but for some reason tonight of all nights it's it's maybe this is a regular thing that's sort of alluded to at some point um right uh how often this happens um but here maybe like voices of children there's giggling there's squealing it feels almost like ben we're witnessing mischievous little kids up late at night without their parents you know around to know about it or hear about it and then oh my god this slime spewing from the can uh ghost as a clean freak (laughs) i am so uncomfortable here um the idea of this green oozy slime it's it's offensive to my core and it's something uh three minutes into the film that i know i'm gonna have to reconcile with which is my discomfort with mess and (laughs) my distaste for slime and this uh is something we talked about at the top of the episode here uh, it's my deep-seated fear of muck and dirt and mud. Mm. And I'm suddenly looking myself in the mirror three minutes into this film, and I'm wondering how and when and why I developed this deep-seated subconscious distaste for mess and disorder and chaos and, yes, garbage. I'm asking myself, ghost, why... I am always looking to purge my garbage, to clean my home, to cleanse everything, to sanitize everything, to spray down everything, to scrub, you know, to, to, to wash my hands, to make all the bad icky feelings and sights and smells. Why I'm always looking to make that stuff go bye-bye, make it go away. <laughs> uh, I'm the wrong guy to ask. I mean, we all like a nice, clean work environment and a home, but as far as aesthetics go and like what is fun to think yep. about for me you know what i like and it's literally all that shit so <laughs> i have literally no advice on uh, where this uh psychosis maybe that's too harsh of a word but, no it uh, is <laughs> it is psychosis my friend this is absolutely psychosis anyways that's what i'm thinking three minutes into the film here and it's a, a trepidation movie. yeah i'm in for a ride i know i'm in for a roller coaster so the next yeah. day we I'm have this to realize play. chris maybe that that sense of shame was about something more than just you know the the you know childhood playing with dolls uh you know that you're trying to get over it seems like there's something a little more oh it's much deeper pathological yeah perhaps yeah absolutely so the next day i mentioned the uh, the punks in the park the next day we have the, the this boy dodger oh wait we see? should note that um sorry just to to tie up the opening <clears throat> scene uh so our uh our captain manzini uh comes on for the very first time um uh, you know sort of after he hears the the commotion coming from upstairs uh of his shop um and this sort of raises the question like uh, I, I you know there's a lot of questions that i'll be raising throughout this obviously but do we think Captain Manzini lives at the shop? There's like a like the downstairs of his antique shop is sort of like a living space. Um, do we think that is his home, or is he just there working late, uh, working on some projects? You know, burning the midnight oil downstairs. Or do you guys have any theories on that? I imagine he lives there in my mind. 
And also, yeah. I think it's important at this juncture that the audience knows that this man is not some kind of uh, charlatan going around performing magic shows. He apparently is a like a wizard, like a magician, like a sorcerer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We yeah. There's also you know as the as the garbage pail is rattling and and opening and the kids are are sort of breaking loose. Um, there's all sorts of little weird things in the sh elsewhere in the shop that start happening, like the eyes on on various paintings are moving back and forth, tracking um, the uh, the kids' movements. Um, so there is some sort of like magic in the air of this of this shop, uh, some sort of force that clearly Captain Manzini is not completely in control of. Yeah, I Ben, I imagine that he lives at the shop. Yeah, and I think it's sort of you know, we can sort of talk and unpack like what the shop sort of symbolically represents. But to me, the shop is like a safe haven, right? Mm. Like oh, yeah. it's the shop is where the freaks go. The shop is where the freaks live. And it's like a safe space. Yeah. Basically. If you're a social outcast, yeah. you go to this shop and you frequent the shop and you probably live at this shop. Mm -hmm. You certainly work at this shop, and you definitely own this shop. Um, but you maybe also live at this shop. Yeah. And it's the reason for that is very simply, like, society is brutal. Yeah. And um, the world is like a terrible, awful, superficial, vain place, and it has no place for outsiders who don't conform. And so the shop is a place for nonconformists like... Um, the good captain and like our protagonist Dodger, who we see in this next shot running through a park being chased by a couple of goons. And let's begin guys by talking about this first goon in the, um, wraparound, um, sunglasses and the black, uh, tank top tee, wearing the fingerless gloves ghost he is absolutely shredded he's ripped he's a bodybuilder i would assume yeah you're referring to wally chris and this bully wait are, are, are we talking about the guy chasing dodger or the guy who steps in front to cut him off no i'm talking about the guy chasing dodger oh chasing got it got it yeah, yeah that, is, that is wally that's wally okay yeah, yeah that's Wally. yep cool yeah this guy like First of all, just the pace of this running, it all it seems like they're on like an aggressive fitness run. There doesn't seem to be any sense of urgency. It's super weird. Um, it's also the music. Like it's 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 the running to the music which like sort of evokes like a fitness Yeah, it's a, it's got like it evokes like a fitness vibe. video vibe. Yeah. Like this guy Like an aerobics class sort of vibe. Yeah, Wally had his um, you know, most of this I I like everything looks so familiar to me and this is being filmed. No surprise it was filmed in the San Fernando Valley where a lot of these kinds of 80s movies were uh, at the time and like he just, you know, Wally is just a guy who got his uh, picture on file with central casting for, you know, the B-grade hunk in one of these movies. And Well, actually, I think it's more than that. He, that is the son of the director. I don't know if you realize. Well, then it's even worse. What? Yeah, Wally, Wally is, is uh, the actor playing Wally is, is the director's son. Well, there you go. I was unaware of that factoid, but yeah, that would explain why he has uh, no skills and is just uh, good for his hunky 80s good looks, and he can't even 
you know, affect a like aggressive run style. It's just like he's out for his jog that, you know, he's just a dummy, but he looks the part. <laughs> he looks cool and he looks kind of like a almost cyberpunk, kind of ahead of his time in, yeah. in his fashion sense, whoever dressed him that day. Well, also, he doesn't need to be running that hard because he's chasing a child. Um, I mean, he's probably at least six years older than this kid in real life. If not, you know, I guess in the film, he's he's meant to be like a high schooler. He's 14. Uh, well, Dodger, Dodger is 14, almost 15. But I assume that the his, his these kids are a couple years bullies older, pursuing him. Oh, yeah. The older. bullies are like yeah. in their late 20s in yeah. real life. And I actually thought in the film, too, but that wouldn't. Yeah, it's not made at all clear, like, if they're classmates. There's no there's no reference to school or parents of any kind at yeah, any point. There are definitely a couple of uh, blind spots here. Yeah. Well, little does Dodger know, guys, that Wally and his female companion, whose name I didn't catch. Blythe. Uh, Life is her name? B- Blythe. Blythe. B- Blythe. B-L-Y-T-H-E, Blythe, yeah. Wally and Blythe have chased Dodger into a trap yeah uh they've led him into an absolute trap they smoked him out and they funneled him right down to uh beneath a bridge area mm-hmm. where out steps um a drug lord like like uh a man that will uh, a man that is named juice yeah um he wears a blazer he wears a I mean, is it a low cut like t shirt or is he wearing like a tank top? Like whatever it is. I like, think it's, it's like a it's like a baby blue tank top. Um, okay. very, very low cut. Yeah. Under the blazer. And, yeah, and he's got intimidating sunglasses and he's got the fingerless gloves, and what do you know? He's smoking a cigarette. Oh yeah. And if there was one way to signify bad news in the eighties, it was smoking, you know. And and this guy my God, I mean, it's, it's terrifying. Terrifying situation that Dodger finds himself in here. He's cornered. Um, and immediately I just don't understand why. Um, but, yeah, so... I think Professor the, uh, C put this uh, scene best. He encapsulated it with this little phrase I found. He says, Dodger is threatened by an encroaching adulthood, as typified by Juice Tangerine, Wally, and Blythe, that equates violence with sexuality and capitalism. If he ain't got money, he ain't got nothing, pouts the Rubenesque Blythe. Uh, entrance into American adulthood is synonymous with entering an exploitative capitalist system. Now, this article is written, it's kind of in jest by this guy, uh, Professor C, on uh, Splatter Academy. But he, I think he, ha- he glances off some, uh, some truths there, perhaps. Yeah, wow. Oh I didn't, God. I didn't uncover oh that one, but that I found a, a sort of a similar, like very, very academic uh, essay on this film from um, Bright Lights Film Journal that kind of explored some some similar themes. But yeah, I mean, you know, we're gonna have some some bigger picture conversations sort of throughout here. But I think we might as well sort of like tease that one of them, and I was actually trying quite intentionally to kind of hint at this earlier, uh, Chris, but the, um, the loss of innocence and the sort of sudden, um, you know, whiplash from childhood into adulthood is a, a very, very prominent theme, uh, in, in this film. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, right off the bat, we're, we're sort of shown quite, quite literally like the, the physical, uh, implications of that transition. Yeah, I mean it's it's brutal. 
so this whole action sequence happens uh, over some very um, catchy synthetic music. Uh, the boy, uh, Dodger, is mugged. He's kicked. And he's dropped in a puddle of mud. Yeah, he's held upside down. Yeah. And um, um, two women, friends of the bullies, look on, and uh, one remarks to the other, Those are my kind of guys. Real psychos. Those are my kind of guys. Real psychos. And um, that sets the tone for the film, guys. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Real this is, psychos. This, this is the world that we are living in where... You know, kindness is not rewarded. Um, psychotic behavior is. You know, the 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 ones that advance are the psychopaths. Those are the, those are the people that get the the women. Those are the those are the people that get the prize. Get the money. Um, they get the money. They get the attention. They get the fame. The fortune. Um, it's the psychopaths. It's not the good, honest uh, workers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is more than just your standard, you know, 80s uh, bullying, high school bullying. Like, this is a, a much more extreme and violent and upsetting uh, kind of version of, of, you know, the the kind of typical cliche Hollywood bullying that, that you see in yeah. most uh, 80s uh, children uh, entertainments. Um, I was, like, very quickly, like, sort of shocked and, 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 yeah. and uh, horrified, frankly, by uh, what what our, our young uh, protagonist Dodger has to endure so far here. All right. In the interest of time, I'm going to keep us moving. Uh, Manzini finds the boy Dodger outside of his shop uh, in the following scene. And he says, you smell like a fire hydrant. Mm. And Manzini. Come boy. We better clean you up before the flies get to you. Yep. Manzini gives the kids some clean clothes, but not just, you know, your average pair of jeans and a shirt. Uh, like we talked about, Ben, this is a shop where, you know, they have, they they have like this stuff that people who are like looking to be nonconformist wear. Yeah. So he doesn't give him, you know. Manzini is a bit of an iconoclast. Let's he just gives say. Him a, he, he gives him a dashiki. Yeah. And this kind of sets the tone, I think. And, um. You know, the, the items in the shop are special. Nothing in this place is going to be run-of-the-mill. Nothing in here is going to be Adam Macy's or Kmart Ghost. This is a shop for people who want to live and exist in a world in a different way. This is a shop for people who are, like, imagining a better world, like a more kind world. And uh, so, yeah, six minutes in, we have our, our uh, protagonist in a dashiki. <laughs> You know, looking at, I have it paused at uh, 728, if you got 727, I should say. I think Manzini actually, like, secretly wants destruction, I just realized. Uh, hmm. he, he, this supposed uh, shall never be touched pale that, like, would unleash hell upon the world. Mm-hmm. He literally has, like, placed it like a, uh, like a tempting christmas present right in the middle of the room with some pathetic easily moved weight on top of it yeah he puts an old yeah an old diving helmet to keep the lid on the the garbage can at this point is still covered in the green ooze that uh seeped from it the previous night he did he made no effort to like clean it up or or contain (laughs) it or do anything and he's literally just leaning against it point that no one can miss entering this shop 
The yeah, thing yeah. that is supposed to be like all mankind would suffer if this thing were unleashed. Like it's right in the middle of the shop. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't not even a piece of tape to to keep the lid on. Just a a, a a somewhat heavy object on top. And then yeah, it's right in the center of the room. He's leaning on it like it's a side table uh, as he uh, talks talks it's, with Dodger. It's like a feigning of like hiding it behind him. It just it's... yeah, exactly. Like oh, you won't be able to see this if I just stand in front of it. That's right. That's right. And he says something here. Uh, so, so he, um, Manzini, you know, the boy explains, Dodger explains that he got into a scuffle and that's why his clothes are all dirty. And Manzini says, you know, losing his relative, what matters is conceding with grace. And he puts a spell to clean up the clothes. Um, but back to, to, to the trash can, Manzini says, have you ever heard of Pandora's box? Don't you know? Never heard of Pandora's box? Never heard of Pandora. Right, clear that stuff. According to legend, all the troubles in the world were once squeezed into one tiny little box. Oh, we got it? Along came this nosy little girl called Pandora, opened it up, let them all out. I don't understand. Think of this as Pandora's pain. You've got to keep this thing locked down. you got to keep it closed or else all hell is going to break loose here. And, uh, yeah, from there, um, I don't know, is there anything you guys want to talk about further from there? Or can we move on to what happens in the shop after that? Uh, we can't move on yet, Chris. Um, okay. <laughs> because there's actually a very, very key line, um, couple of key lines actually i mean there's a couple things i want to unpack here number one this is sort of backtracking from the thing i was about to say but i think it's worth exploring what is the relationship between manzini and dodger because dodger is standing outside the shop it's night. <laughs> we're it's, eight it's, minutes into the movie yeah i know <laughs> this is a, it's, yeah. it's 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 nighttime if i'm not mistaken when yeah. um, when Manzini first finds Dodger outside his shop, uh, covered in, in mud, um, brings him in, says, you know, we've got to get you cleaned up. And then Dodger, like, at one point later on, he's, um, Manzini says, like, oh, how long have you worked here? And Dodger says, a couple months. This kid, it, it seems to me like he also are, lives in the shop. Um, it also seems to me... There are a lot me, of holes. There are a lot of holes in the story. Yeah, it also seems to me that, um, that Manzini is this boy's sole caretaker uh yeah, there's certainly big question is does dodger have parents no like, if, we, like, if, they, if, we, if he does they are never referenced or shown on screen once in the entire movie right um the implication is that he is an orphan um right. they he also they they never show him living in a in a home or a house um at right, any like point school there's no like walking out of a house to get to the shop at, at any point we only ever see Dodger either in the shop or like coming into and out of the shop. Um, and yeah, Manzini is, is his sole parental figure. Um, and also, I mean, I don't know if we want to like go down this path, but there's definitely a, a, a weird kind of, you know, romantic subtext. It's not heavy handed, uh, certainly. Um, but, um, but the line where, uh, you know, Manzini is like showing him all these, these, uh, you know, bizarre things from his shop, telling him the backstory of how he got the dashiki that he dresses Dodger in, 
Um, and then um, at one point he pulls out like an old fan. He's fanning himself. Um, and, uh, and um, well, so, yeah, there's a couple. He basically, right. like, you know, flirts with the kid. He's like, they, a fan can either enchant or rebuff and, like, smacks him on the shoulder. Yeah, yeah like, kind of, yeah. Yeah, it can either be used to um, to beckon or rebuff. And Dodger B- says, "Bottom line, whether it, that's your boss or your parent, he should not be." It's not you know, a lot of things. It's not, not appropriate about the man's not, not appropriate relationship, including the, uh, the 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 bathing, the supervised bathing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so but then he says this line Manzini does that I, I found extremely salient. Um, so he's talking about the fan and. Um, you know, he's a uh, Dodger asked Manzini, did you ever get beckoned? Tell me about this, Captain Manzini. Ah, an early form of air conditioning. <laughs> also a tool of romance. It could beckon or rebuff. Did you ever get beckoned? Yes, I also got rebuffed. But like me, this is a relic from a simpler age. When good and bad was black and white. And a man could settle all his differences with one of these. And some damn fool invented gunpowder, and a bigger damn fool split the atom. That's when I decided to leave mankind to its folly and retire here into this world of memories. So that to me was like a chills moment where I realized, as you alluded to earlier, Chris, that this shop is not just a, a store, a place of commerce for Manzini, but it is a, a, a refuge. It's a... Yeah, an oasis where he can hide, it's a quite, quite literally hide from the outside world and all the, you know, horrors and and um, and and challenges and and complicated, um, you know, uh, issues to 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 grapple with. No, no, no. He just wants to shut all that out and just retreat into this world. He says he retires here into this world of memories. Um, so it is like this, this symbolic representation of, of like just shutting yourself out from the real world and, um, you know, much like, uh, childhood and, and innocence, you know, before you, you know, feel like you need to deal with these, you know, messier, um, and potentially more, you know, harmful, uh, uh, issues and things in life. You want to just, you know, surround yourself with toys and, and stuffed animals and, you know, and, and just live in this little cocoon. And that's yeah, what, uh, I mean, what Manzini does as an adult. If we're being honest, he sounds a bit like an addict. Um, <laughs> he sounds like a radical. Like, and I, I don't say that, like, uh, to be funny or anything. Like, he's, he sounds like someone that, like, can't, like, live and function in the world and, like, goes to this place to sort of, like, drop out. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like to literally just be like, I can't function in the world and this is my church. And what makes you nervous is like when those environments get radicalized, when they start like, because it's, it's, it's a fine line. It's a fine line before that becomes like a cult, like Haven, you know what I mean? Yeah. Where other people who don't want to live in the world go there to just to sort of drop out. Yeah. It creates an actual alternative, like a viable alternative to being a member of, of member a society. Of society. Yeah. yeah. All right, moving um, on. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, one last little detail I want to point out from the, the scene. Um, when, uh, when Dodger, or sorry, when, when Manzini asked Dodger, you know, how he got uh, all, all messy and, and um, you know, Dodger says he got in a fight and Manzini asks if he reported uh, his assault to the police 
And Dodger responds, quote, last guy who snitched on Juice got poured into the West Side Highway. Um, so Juice, who again is like a, you know, an 80s bully character, um, is also a, a murderer. Um, <laughs> and um, it's also a little confusing since the West Side Highway, uh, from all research I could do, is in New York City. And this movie is based in Los Angeles. So I don't know. Juice is, but Juice is clearly like an international, I think, like criminal, cr- like crime lord. Um, yeah. Oh right, we're in, saying, like, we're in the valley, like but a, it doesn't matter. Like this guy was over on the east coast. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty, pretty sure that he that he moves lord around. Yeah. Some sort of like criminal kingpin. Yeah, uh, kingpin. I but like, I think he probably has his own private plane. Um, so that does actually yeah. make sense that he's able to commit murders uh, in uh, on the east coast. Um, no, but like you were saying, Ben, like there are a lot of uh, like um, like unconnected or unexplained things, and the um, venom and like anger that Juice has towards this little boy is sort of never apparent, like clear to me. Yeah, and I just sort of chalk it up to like that the world is cruel, basically. Like like that is the only reasonable explanation to me as for like why Juice wants this kid to like punish and feel his wrath so badly. It's just because like the world sucks. Yeah, it seems to be like almost a matter of principle. I think it's at one point he's, he says something like, uh, uh, you know, it's a matter of principle. I have to beat this kid up. I mean, I think a lot of it is motivated by the fact that, um, that uh, Dodger clearly has expressed some kind of romantic interest in Tangerine, Bef- Juice's pre Tangerine, but yeah, yeah that's pre- even right. pre fashion show stuff. Like it's yeah. just he. Why does he have it out? for He's this sticking kid? this kid up, um, you know, for what probably like five dollars maximum that he has in his pocket. Meanwhile, he's clearly like, uh, you know, tr- like doing, you know, cr- uh, tr- transporting goods, uh, you know, across state lines, if not you know, national lines, and he's, you know, pr- clearly, like, you know, he has multiple vehicles that he's, uh, that he owns, he's, you know, he must be, like, making tons of money, um, <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a line later in the movie that i that we'll get to where there, there's sort of a hint at, like, his, his larger criminal, uh, organization or enterprise, um, but it just, it just seems like he's punching down a little bit with Dodger, that he, that he should be kind of above that, but I think it's, it's purely just the sport of, of, um, of, you know, sadism for him. I think he just enjoys, um, yeah, just creating pain and, and chaos. As the girls say, it's, they're psychos. So yeah, it's just pure psychopathy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's, that's the, the joy of the game right there, you know? All right, guys, on that note, uh, I think we're going to hit pause for this episode. Uh, ghost quickly. Is there anything you want to plug or promote people can find you online at trash bag ghost your website is trashbagghost.com. anything else uh you can tell us that you're working on where can we find you latest project thanks chris latest project i'm working on is the just launched eightpins.com where if you're a member of the board ape yacht club you go to eightpins.com send me a little ethereum i'll send you a small mountain of enamel pins you can go around town flex it and uh God. just enjoy life mm. Ben and I got a glimpse of these things, folks. They're absolutely incredible. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta get one. So if you own an ape, go find Ghost ApePins.com. Ben, uh, till next time. Thanks as always, and this was a pleasure. And we will uh, talk to you next episode. Always fun to do the pod. See you later, boys. Later, boys. You can listen to Switch. Switch.
Shut up. Woo.